0: Okay, this morning, part two of uh, our little mini-series on understanding our Bible. We're going to focus on the Old Testament today. Last week, I gave you a really, really fast-paced run-through of the themes. What is this book all about? Um, Somebody asked for an email of uh, the the powerpoints, and I hadn't sent them yet because I want to get through this today, and then I can just send it at once. So I'm already going to tell you now. The slides go quickly. Uh, Certain slides I'm not going to stay on. They have way too much information. Information on, So, we're going to try and have the camera guys zoom in, do a freeze frame of it. Well, how, you freeze it yourself when you pause your, your video. Um, but you can also email me for the actual slides because there's a lot of great info, especially the charts that explain how the Bible works. Like, when you see it, you may go, wow, uh, I sure did, and uh, it took me into Bible college before I got to understand how it all was pieced together. Nobody ever told me, and I don't want that to be true of this church. I want you to know how to see, view, and read your Bible. It should be pretty good. So, let us begin with a map. Where in the world does the whole Bible stuff take place? It's in this window. All of the stories that you find in Scripture are in that place. Okay, we're going to do a, a zoom in now on this. This is what it looks like today. All right, same area, same picture Iraq's there, Lebanon, Jerusalem, Israel, Jordan, Cairo, Egypt, all that stuff. So, this is, this is a, a snapshot of the world that, what, as it looks like today. All right. Timeline: How do we understand where stuff fits? Who was born when? Blah 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 blah. So basically, we don't know when the start of creation was, and that's that's uh, an ongoing argument uh, between people: of uh, is it four thousand years old? Is it five thousand? Is it millions of years old? All I can tell you for certain: God created it. Okay, and there's evidence that shows one thing and shows evidence of the other and um uh, my leaning is giving greater greater confidence that god is miraculous in how he creates it's like okay um the stuff we're still discovering today it's there's there's so much depth um in, uh, in the, how creation was made bad maybe sometime you can preach on creation uh that'd be you didn't already did you no, didn't. Good. Good. Whew. That would have been embarrassing because I should have memorized it, right? So anyway, that would be a cool one to, to, to touch from a scientific perspective. Um, so at the beginning we have the story of creation and Noah, and then the story of Joseph is in here, Moses, then Samson, David, the kingdoms divide, I'll talk about that a little later, the idea of Jeremiah, return from exile, um, and everything quiet until Christ comes at 0 B.C., which is not really 0 B.C., it's more like um, a 3 or 2 B.C., they got the dates wrong. So that's, that's when Jesus was born. That's the general one. This is a zoomed-in description. I'm not going to go through this list. This is for um, uh, email purpose and zoomed-in pausing if you want to see when, who was born, where, all that stuff, and where the stories fit in, timelines, okay? Uh, it really does help show you this is based on actual history. It's not a fiction book, all right? It was written over many years by many people. It's a compilation of books. It's not a single publisher, unless you want to call God the publisher. Great. But I'm just saying, it's a whole bunch of books pieced together, uh, describing, first of all, as we talked about last week, the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. Alright? That's its purpose. Next, this is the one you can't memorize either, but... <laughs> How is that, how's that for info? I love charts because it helps me see. And for me, again, get a good zoom in on this. There, that's enough time. Good. Uh, that way the person can pause it and it's clear. But uh, this is where all the books of the Bible fit in on this. Some people may not know where uh, certain books are covered. But, for example, Job was actually one of the f- oldest stories. All right? of of writing so you're gonna when you start to go through um when each book was written it'll help you so over here we have the new testament stuff and and so on so those are those are huge love it um does that give you a, a nice quick snapshot of where the books of the bible fit in all right hope you have it memorized here's the best part this is the part you may not know this is the part that got me excited this is a description of how the books work, all right? The first 5 books of the Old Testament are called the Pentateuch. And called the, the the Jews called the Torah, okay? It's the, the books of the law. In German, uh, the Germans call it uh um, Book of Moses. So there's erste Mose, zweite Mose, dritte Mose, vierte Mose, fünfte Mose. So it's 1 two, three, 4, 5 Moses. So if you didn't catch that, all right. So that's what that is. Then we have Historical books, there's 12 of them there. okay. These books carry the entire story of the Bible. That is the, of the Old Testament. The, those are the, the cash and carry. That, that's the whole story. All right. Um, call them the, um, um, the, the storyline. Then we have books called play. These are the books of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. They can be played at any time. You can pull them out. Hit play and listen and read and, and just enjoy the book out of context, out of whatever. They can be, they're, not, they're not part of a story, okay? Then over here, we have what's called plug and play. These guys get plugged into this story, all right? All of these. You have the five major prophets, and you have the twelve minors, and they come in threes. It's pretty interesting. So those are plug and play, play, and story, now, if you want to start reading the Bible, it's going to start to make more sense because you're going to see this story here fit into here somewhere. And, and that guy, he's over here. It's like, where, where do they fit? That's why you need to know. Otherwise, it's going to get confusing as you start to read it and you think it's in chronological order and it is not. So this is really, really helpful. Memorize this or at least know it's available. Email me for the PowerPoint of it and you'll have that diagram and you can kind of post it above your mirror. And uh, yeah. Isn't that wonderful? The story. Some of you may remember this from about t- 10 years ago when I, I covered this. Um, but uh, this, is, this is, I'm going to walk you through the story of the Old Testament as best I can. Just so you can see where on the map stuff is. So here, this is the, the Jewish world. Um, and then Egypt's here, Jordan, Israel. Like, just so you have an idea where the placements are. We're going to begin with Adam and Eve, and they are number, whoops, go back. That's me. There we go. So, uh, is that number six, or is that one? I can't read that. It's 1A, I think it is. Yes, it is, 1A. Abram. Uh, So, we have the story of Adam and Eve, and that's over here, actually, um, where where that takes place. Um, But then we have the story of Abraham after Noah. Noah, Abraham first, sorry, Adam and Eve first, then the story of of Noah, then the Tower of Babel happens, and now we get the story of Abraham, called Abram first. And this is where he was from, from the land of Ur. He then um, took his wife Sarah, and they went to Canaan to visit, and this is, look at that, that's where he went up to Haran. Can you guys see that? Is that dark enough? Okay. Yes. No. Sort of. Good enough. Best I can do. Too bad. I can't edit right now. Um, so there's the. That's where the heron story comes from, where Tara, Abraham's dad, died. Uh, and we also have the story of um, um, uh, the story of the barren Sarah that she couldn't have a baby. And it, please go to number two. There we go. That's where number two is. This is where the story where Abraham cannot have kids. At least Sarah can't. And so, as it turns out, um, Sarah suggests to the handmaiden and and Abraham, her husband, why don't you two sleep together and produce a baby? We're going to help God out because it ain't working with me. And we get the story of Ishmael. Bad, bad idea. On many levels, all right, you can figure that out. But he has two sons, and then Isaac is born later to Sarah, which is the chosen one that God was going to deliver Abraham's children through. So that was that was uh, uh, at at number two. Um, Jacob is uh, then um, the son of Isaac, and um, uh, Jacob has twelve sons and one daughter. Uh, That's where we get the story of Joseph. Joseph goes down to Egypt. Okay. So the story of Joseph, we covered a couple weeks ago. Uh, Joseph is the favored one. He's the son of Rebekah, which is the one Jacob really loved. Jacob had like two or three wives. And uh, so he had, uh, J- Joseph had a bunch of stepbrothers. So you can start to see the jealousy thing and why the extra favoritism happened. Um, and it wasn't until um, um, uh, he was in, in Egypt... Uh, uh, Joseph thought that they might have taken out his youngest brother, who's his real brother with Rebecca. So Rebecca had two children. Um, pretty powerful story. Um, we're not going to get into the big long one today because it's, it's, it's long. But here's the key. When the famine came and Joseph becomes a leader in Egypt... Okay. Remember, he's sold as a slave and ends up in jail, interprets the dreams, and then the dreams uh, are forgotten until the king has a dream, and then uh, it was predicted that they're going to have uh, seven years of, of great plenty and seven years of famine. Joseph became the leader in charge of making sure the storehouses are full and then the famine hits. When the famine hits, it hits the whole land. It's everywhere. And so Joseph's family from up here had to come down to Egypt because they heard food, food there was food there and went and bought food from Joseph. So he got to see his brothers, all right? It's in that time he ends up moving his family to live with him in Egypt. While well, they multiply and multiply and multiply. And now we have the story of Moses. This is where this is how the whole story of Moses and Egyptian slaves came into being. Because the Egyptians saw the Israelites growing so big, they said, "Wait a minute! We don't want them to take over. They, they could take us over right now." And so, in a strateg- strategic move, they um, made them slaves and, and put more and more stuff on them, and it just got really bad. And Moses was born into that. That's the story of the baby in the bull rushes, and, and he gets taken by the king or the queen and uh, becomes royalty. And it's an adopted uh, son of the king. So that's where that happens. Number four. um, As they leave Egypt, um, the, the story of the Red Sea happens, and they end up at a mountain. The mountain is Mount Sinai. So they cross the Red Sea, wherever it is. And uh, at Mount Sinai, this is where you get the story of the law. Where God says, I want to make you a kingdom, I want to make you all priests. They said, no, we don't want to be that. So fine, God gives them a law and makes it absolutely impossible to keep. It was a setup. The old covenant law is a setup. The Ten Commandments are part of that. But, don't dismiss the fact the Ten Commandments had purpose. They had purpose they're made even better in the New Covenant by the life of Christ. Instead of looking at a list of ten, we live by the life of Christ in us, which totally encompasses all that and more. We don't live by the rules, we live by the life of Jesus, which is very, very different and better. Um, Next, uh, as they are dealing with the law, um, they uh, try and go to send spies up to uh, Israel, to Canaan, and so... They decide, hey, can we take this? And they sent 12 spies in or 10, whatever it was. Uh, I think it was 12. And then two came back saying, yes, we can take them. The other, other guy said, no, we can't. There's no way. And so because of their lack of faith, they were stuck wandering woo, in the desert for 40 years. 40 years. So that whole generation had to die off. So to the Jews, a generation was... 40 years. Very interesting when you do math and deal with 70 AD. Remember, we covered that in the End Times series that I did? Yeah. There's a link. All right. Second reading of the law happens at number six. They finally realized, oh my goodness, You know, uh, um, we need to know this. And as the law is being read, they're excited, we will live by this. And they have to cross another river, the Jordan River. This too required a miracle, because it was at high tide. So they crossed the Jordan River. Um, Joshua is now the leader. Moses now dies, Joshua is the leader. Moses is not allowed to see the new land, but Joshua comes in. Joshua is an interesting guy because he was hiding when he was being sought out for as the leader. He didn't want to be the leader, he was too scared. Very neat story of inadequacies, of feeling, I can't lead, I can't do this, I'm not gifted. All the whining we do, and God is drawing us to do something that takes something greater than our own self-strength. Great lesson there from that. So Joshua invades and conquers and divides up Canaan. Um, Jericho's there. um, And then there's 12 tribes. So all the tribes are split up. But only 11 get land. So Israel now has been taken over. And they divide it all up into 11 uh, groups. The last group gets nothing. Doesn't that stink? They get nothing except to run the church. Oh, wait a minute. The whole um, priestly system is run. So what the deal was, all the other tribes, because the the one group was going to do all the sacrifices and all the holy work, the other tribes had to support them by giving a percentage of their stuff, of their first fruits, 10%. And then there were other offerings that were given. So some people say, we should go back to the old covenant law and the old tithe. Well, the tithe is only one 10% portion of what you must give. Then there's a whole bunch more. It equals up from anywhere I've seen 29 to 38%. So you want to go back to that and go start giving 38% of your income? <laughs> I didn't think so. So be, be joyful. But I'll tell you this, when it comes to giving, it's no longer the 10%. That's an old covenant picture of giving. The new covenant is better, or if you don't understand it, you'll think it's worse. It's 100%. It's all His. It's all His. And then He inspires us to give out of the generosity of how we have been given. Many, many, many people have a hard time with this, because now this requires you to listen to what the Holy Spirit says to give the dependency on Him. And if, if you want, you can go, la, 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 and not listen at all, and just throw your loony in for whatever you want to support. You know, like, you, I, my job is to teach you how to listen. Encourage, encourage you to read through scriptures. God will tell you. We're all called to give. Nobody's off the hook. Members, non-members, I don't care. This is not... By the way, when I talk about giving here, it's not about a legalistic thing that says God's going to bless you because you're giving here. This is about us as a family connecting. It's a family helping pay for the bills. An example, for me, I make my living from teaching and and leading here. You guys need to support that. And if it doesn't support, it falls apart. And that's how this system works. So just a, a side note there. That was fun. Next, we have the story of the judges. Unstable time. But And all the um, cities and places around, they had kings. And Israel said, we want to have a king too. So Samuel is a prophet who comes. Samuel plays a major role in the story because David's part of that story. Um, So Israel says, we we don't want judges now. We want to have kings like everybody else. It's exactly true. That's exactly what happened. And so Samuel is given direction by God to appoint a man named Saul. And Saul was to be the king of Israel, the first king. And he was well liked. And really early on, he disobeyed so badly. He was supposed to go with Samuel to do a sacrifice. But Samuel was delayed. And so he chose, King Saul, chose to do the sacrifice himself. Who is right? Very bad, and that caused his kingdom to be taken away. Except it didn't happen right away. So we have Saul as king. Then Samuel is told to go find another king, and this is where we get the story of David. So Samuel's told to go to a home. The guy lives there. Great. So he goes to the house, and the father says, "Oh, uh, hello, I'm Jethro, and uh, these are my sons," but. None of the sons were the right ones. He says, "Are you serious, God? Are you sure you got the, I got the right address? Because my GPS says this one." So he says, "Are you sure you don't have any other sons?" "Oh, yeah, we do. We have one more, but he's just he's just he's you know taking care of the sheep. He's not the right one. Get him." So he brings in David, and as soon as he sees David, he says, "This is the one." God made it clear to him, so this is the one who will be king of Israel. It's from the line of David we get Jesus. Okay? If you take a look at the Old Testament lineage, like do you know how the many of the books will say start off with so-and-so beget so-and-so and so on and so on? Look through it. There's a purpose. Generations are labeled out. Like you can can do math and figure out how many generations it's been to the time of Christ. From the beginning to David and from David to Jesus. It's all on purpose. So, David. David plays the harp, okay? Like he's not king now. He's just been told he's king, but Saul's king. And this is an overlap for 40 years. 40 years. So 40 years. And then David is not king, although he's appointed king for 40 years. They're, they're parallel. But he's not functioning, but he's appointed. The whole time, Saul's trying to kill David. He's jealous of him. He sees the favor. He, he, I, don't, I don't even know if he knows that he's supposed to become the king. I think if he really knew that, he'd do whatever he could to take him out. But the, the, the rivalry, the, the fear that David was in, which honestly, half of the Psalms that are written are written by David in a time of despair, feeling attacked by by a man who wants to take his life, and he's saying, God, what is up? You know, I I love you, and I'm doing all this stuff, but what's with this stuff? Like, kill me now! Or take them out! And boy, the vengeance prayers. He's really honest. There's blunt honesty there, which gives you and I permission to be very honest with our Heavenly Father when we pray. It's beautiful. And yet, I find God brings him to a place of surrender at, at the end of the Psalms. A place of yielding, which, honestly, that is one of the benefits of prayer. When we begin to pray, even if it's a, oh my God, and you start off like that, that can be a prayer. okay? <laughs> but usually you say that when you're upset. And then, oh my God, what? and your confusion, you, you, you blurt out all of your anger, your frustration, and then he softens your heart, and he brings you to a place of yieldedness, and says, I'm in control. Can you get there? Because usually when you're at the, oh my God, this is happening to me stage, you do not feel like talking. Okay? I promise you, the Holy Spirit's at work in you. He's guiding you, directing you. So, David has some sons. What number are we at? We're still there. David has some sons. Well, when you have lots of sons, and guess who gets to become heir? There's some fighting going on. And so some of them want to take over the kingdom and say, we want to be kings. And Eventually, after uh, that happens, there's a split. And so the the, the kingdoms are divided. Remember the 11 tribes? They split. We're going to be together here. We're going to be together here. The northern and southern tribes. So that's where you see the split happen in the story. It's a juicy... There's a lot of stuff going on in those stories. Um, If you're looking for blood, guts, and and violence, those are the stories. They're there. Then number eight was considered a far more wicked kingdom. Out of all the kings that were part of this kingdom, two out of the 20 kings were good. The rest were evil. They were brutal. The northern kingdom of Israel falls first to Assyria and then sent into captivity. Do you remember Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were captured and brought to Assyria. This is why. They were taken from that and brought to that place. Uh, warned that uh, uh, if, they didn't, if they didn't repent, they'd be taken captive. Then the southern kingdom was to Babylon. This is, where, this is where Daniel was, actually. Um, and then... It falls to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Um, this is the Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. That's where it takes place. Then, um, God brings back, and this is where we get the story of Nehemiah and Ezra. We're getting to the end now. Nehemiah and Ezra happen, and they end up um, going back to Jerusalem um, after 70 years in captivity. It's Nehemiah who is a cupbearer to the Babylonian king and goes back and rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. So he goes back Now they're back in their land and we have the story of Malachi and then it's quiet for 400 years. And we want God to answer us in the next 10 minutes. (laughs) There's something to that. we, we, We really try to rush God in our culture. We really do. And a lot of the stuff we're learning from the Bible and how it applies to our life honestly takes a lot longer than you and I ever want to admit. It needs to seep in you. It, uh, the reason I'm giving you the map is so that when you start to read, you go, oh, okay, that's where it goes, that's, where, that's why. Th- this all fits together. Now we're going to go through this list. There's no way you'll see this. There's no way to zoom on that. Don't even try. Um, but this is a picture of the entire Old Testament and all of the prophecies about the coming Messiah. That's how many. All through, like all the books are there. Now this is where you have to email me the list and I'll, I'll send you the chart. It's wonderful. But this is huge. And they all were fulfilled. All of this happened. And remember, it's written by many different people at different time periods all the way through. And all of it was fulfilled. This gives me great hope to trust the scriptures, to dig in and go, oh, that's what that was. Now I'm piecing it together. And watch this come alive. Read it like a novel. Don't dissect. Dissection is for personal study. You can do that. But if you haven't read it like a good book and and just to rip through, you're going to miss out on one of the best gifts, and that is the overview of the whole of scripture. And now you have the chart of where the books fit in. It starts to make sense. As you go through, it's, oh, I'm into that book now, and where does that fit? Ah, all of this has a purpose, and it's exciting to learn. I'm going to give you a a, a three or four minute clip here by a guy named Brian Zahn as he describes the Bible for you. He does a fabulous job, so I'm going to let him say it. Here we go.
1: reading the Bible right. It's a story. We're telling news here, keeping alive an ancient epic, the grand narrative of paradise lost and paradise regained, the greatest once-upon-a-time tale ever told, the beautiful story which moves relentlessly toward they live happily ever after. Never, never, never forget that before it's anything else, it's a story. So let the story live and breathe, enthrall and enchant. Don't rip its guts out and leave it lifeless on the dissecting table. Don't make it something it's really not, a catalog of wished-for promises, an encyclopedia of God facts, a law journal of divine edicts, a how-to manual for do-it-yourselfers. Find the promises, learn the facts, heed the laws, live the lessons, but don't forget the story." Learn to read the book for what it is. God's great, big, wild, and wonderful surprise-ending love story. Let there be wonder. Let there be mystery. Let there be tragedy. Let there be heartbreak. Let there be suspense. Let there be surprise. Let it be earthy and human. Let it be celestial and divine. Let it be what it is and don't try to make it perfect where it's not. This fantastic story of creation, alienation, devastation, incarnation, salvation, restoration. With its cast of thousands, more Tolstoy novel than pat thousand page sermon. It's a story because we're not saved by ideas, but by events. Here's a plot line for you. Death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, it's a story. Not a plan, not ology or ism, but a story. And it's an amalgamated patchwork story told in mixed medium. Narration, history, genealogy, prophecy, poetry, parable, psalm, song, sermon, dream and vision, memoir and letter. So understand the medium and don't try so hard to miss the point. Try to learn what matters and what doesn't. It's not where and when Job lived, but what Job learned in his painful odyssey and poetic theodicy. It's not how many cubits of water you need to put Everest under a flood, but why the world was so dirty that it needed such a big bath. Trying to find Noah's Ark instead of trying to rid the world of lust and violence really is an exercise in missing the point. Speaking of missing the point, it's not did a snake talk, but what the damn thing said. Because even though I've never met a talking snake, I've sure had serpentine thoughts crawl through my head. Literalism is a kind of escapism by which you move out of the crosshairs of the probing question. But parable and metaphor have a way of knocking us to the floor. Prosed, flattened literalism makes the story small, time-confined, and irrelevant. But poetry and allegory travel through time and space to get in our face. Inert facts are easy enough to set on the shelf. But the story well told will haunt you. Ah, the story well told. That's what is needed. It's time for the story to bust out of the cage and take the stage and demand a hearing once again. It's a story, I tell you. And if you allow the story to seep into your life so that the story begins to weave into your story, that's when at last you're reading the Bible right.
0: You're going to find the story of grace in the Old Testament as you read the story, the map I just showed you a pattern will come out and the pattern is this God saying, please obey I will bless if you don't, there's a curse, there's a result there's a consequence and they failed miserably many times but then God's faithfulness came as they repented and back and forth, back and forth so many times it gives you hope much hope can't see that until you read it through like a book and let it come alive and lastly it's up to the holy spirit to make something jump off the page for you for your heart because everyone's on a different journey everyone's at a different place everyone has a different reason for reading or not reading You can't impose it on anyone. You should read the Bible. You can't. It comes from the internal desire to want to read it. That's when I say, go read the Bible. Next week, or in two weeks, we're going to cover a quick run-through of the New Testament, a similar way to what we just did with the Old, to give you a picture of how it all fits, uh, the maps, everything I can possibly find to overwhelm you and make it exciting. It'll be fun.